Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and today is a Writer's Right mailbag episode in which I and a guest answer your burning questions about anything, uh, including books and movies and basketball, of course, writing, you name it. So uh, you talk about it uh, and we will... Uh, discuss it on the podcast. So today's guest is one of my Raptors Republic teammates. We've seen his work on CBC Sports, Vice Sports, The Athletic Toronto, and he's one of the best followers on Raptors Twitter. It's Louis Zatzman. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing better after that intro. You're too kind, man. <laughs> uh, it's true. I don't. Uh, I don't. I never put anything that I don't believe in my introductions. So every person who tells me that the introduction was too much, um, yeah, I'm just going off straight facts. So uh, <laughs> everybody has to know that. You were at Raptors practice this morning, right? Yeah, yeah, I was. Sweet. So this is, uh, oh, we're talking on Monday. I almost forgot what day it was. Today's voting day in Canada, uh, October 21st. So you were there this morning. How was the, how was the practice? It's really good. I think a lot of guys are um, taking a step up in their media comfort this year. Um, Serge Ibaka, most specifically, I think he's taken a DeMar-like leap in, in how open, how comfortable, how happy he is with the media. It's really awesome to see. It's, it's that championship swag, man. Guys are just confident. Uh, they give good quotes. They really know that they're going to be good, and they're happy people are counting them out. Yeah, I heard Ibaka was great. I've gotten that kind of vibe from the team just from preseason and reading and listening to everything that they really, um, they really do feel like kind of underdog still underdogs maybe not a word that they're they really want to use but like you know van vliet's always kind of the same way and lowry kind of always has the same mindset where they're champs now but there's still that sort of sense of disbelief so they uh they have something to be hungry for and to fight for this season yeah 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 so i mean that's which is cool um it's good it's not something you don't really want to see the championship hangover i was a little concerned maybe we would see that but i mean with with the kind of the shift of the team, maybe we would have been more like, likely to see it if Kawhi and Danny Green had stuck around. But with the shifts in the team and Siakam becoming the guy and getting the contract and uh, some new players coming in and adding to the mix and all that stuff and, you know, the constant drum and the distance of disrespect that Kyle Lowry gets, there's still going to be something to, to fight for for this season. So that's exciting, and uh, they seem to do it. So today we're going to be talking about the questions that we've received. So this is a mailbag episode. I wanted to do these more often, but I haven't really got to it. But I thought since the Raptors season and the NBA season starts tomorrow that this would be a good time to do it and kind of just preview the Raptors season and answer any questions that people had for us uh, online through Twitter primarily. So, um, yeah, I guess that's kind of where we're going to start. So we will kick off with some of the questions that we got through Twitter. So I will start here with one from Zach Wilson, at Zach Wilson 50 on Twitter. And he wants to talk about Stanley Johnson. So he wants to know if uh, Johnson's going to get any non-garbage time minutes in like the first five games of the year. <laughs> yeah, I think there's maybe a 0% chance he will. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think any guy has had a more disappointing preseason training camp. And, and it's not just his play, which has been poor. Mm-hmm. But it's his uh, – he just seems unhappy. He, he's really – really down on himself you can see the negativity just you know how he walks around the court practice court on in the games uh you can tell it's not it's not clicking the way he sort of thought it might in toronto and this could be his last chance to stick in the lead league oftentimes those second draft candidates if they really aren't able to make an impact 
that could be when you know you you label guys bust if they were picked in the first round and fall out of the NBA. And so I think he has really high expectations. He knows this is an important stop for him, and he knows that it's going poorly. Yeah, I mean he's a guy whose calling card has always been defense, and he hasn't been very good defensively. And obviously Nurse kind of had that now sort of semi-famous um, soliloquy during uh, post-Raptors practice, talking about the new guys and their defense and, and, and how it wasn't up to snuff. So, yeah, I could see, I mean, there's reason for him to be disappointed. I think he's been kind of disappointing in general. Um, you know, it sucks to see a guy potentially on the outs of the league, but um, these things happen. I mean, I've been talking to some people who are you know, closer to the Pistons and have seen more of him uh, for longer stretches of time. And they said that this obviously wasn't to be uh, unexpected, that um, they kind of had hoped that maybe he would take a bit of a, a leap and a change coming to Toronto and just getting a fresh uh, fresh start. But they they were not surprised that this is the sort of thing going on here. So, Yeah, and, and when you mention the defense, I think that's that is the important part. And Nick Nurse had that one, um, you know, criticism of all the new guys, not just yeah. Stanley. Um, and it's happened a couple times. I mean, it even happened this morning. Somebody asked him, is he happy with the new guys today? And he said, not quite there yet. But what really stood out to me and what Nick Nurse is saying is these guys, new guys don't need to be Kawhi Leonard on defense. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to ask them to be. You know, they're not asking guys to have highlight defensive plays where they lock down everyone, they switch four times, they they come up with a deflection. Um, that's just not going to happen. And what's important is the team concept. Mm-hmm. And Stanley Johnson's strengths on defense are those exquisite physical plays, but that doesn't really impress Toronto. They have guys who can do that better, and they need people to fit in, to help, to tag the rollers perfectly, you know, to nail those details when the athleticism doesn't, doesn't really play as much as the mind. And so it's it's tough for Stanley Johnson because his gifts aren't really impressing. Yeah, that I mean that's the tough part. Especially and and you can understand then why he'd be a little down on himself when like the thing he's supposed to be best at and has been his calling card is the thing where he's not performing well. So that could definitely take a mental toll, I think. As for like the rotation, I'm talking about it really kind of quickly, like a nurse already has like a clear top seven. We kind of know that going into this. And after that, it gets a bit more complicated. Obviously, Patrick McCaw is injured right now, I know, but I think he'll be in there. Terrence Davis had an impressive camp. People are looking for him to be in the rotation. Chris Boucher, obviously, depth at the at the center spot. Um, can maybe move down a couple slots depending on what nurse wants to throw out there. And nurse also mentioned that he doesn't want to run pure bench units necessarily. He wants to mix in starters. So, I mean, if Johnson does get any time to get out there and 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 actually play during any non-garbage time minutes i mean he's gonna have to really kill it because i think he's gonna have a short leash so yeah yeah i agree yeah yeah okay so i think that pretty much does it for that question so the answer really is not likely uh yeah but you know i kind of think like do you agree that ronde hollis jefferson is probably above him in any potential rotation yeah certainly his defense has been uh he's had fewer highs which is strange to say, but Stanley Johnson has had two or three possessions that are unbelievable. Um, but he's had far higher lows. Um, and his offense, he's forced it less. He's blended in a little quieter. I think Rondé has a little more confidence. Um, and he should slot in as that, you know, that primary power forward off the bench. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
Okay, so we got a <laughs> we got a few questions from Matt Chance, our buddy, also at Raptors Republic. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's at M underscore Chance. I believe. Go follow him. He's hilarious and has many good food takes. So I'll start with this one from him. Does Terrence Davis, speaking of him, since we just brought him up, or I just brought him up, does he make all rookie or does he jump to all NBA right away? <laughs> uh, I mean, he actually could make the rookie teams, right? Like, is that too crazy? I mean, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, I, I think it depending from what I saw in preseason. Again, this is a small sample size, and I haven't. I'm not someone who's watched Terrence Davis much before this, to be fair. So I don't. I, I've had a very tiny, tiny sample size of him here. From what I've seen, it really, really depends on who's around him. Like he, he's a guy that when he was at, asked to be the primary creator, he struggled so much more than when he had a couple creators around him and he was playing off ball. He looked so much better in that role in that position where he was comfortable. I think if he was consistently put in that kind of scenario, I mean, he could have a really good season. Yeah, the question is um, his minutes. Like yeah. when he's on the floor, and Nick Nurse talked today about how he needs to put his bench guys in positions to succeed. He's going to stagger the starters, I think, more than he did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Davis will be alongside one of Fred or Lowry every minute he's on the floor. You know, Pascal Siakam will probably be there for the vast majority. He'll be alongside one of Ibaka or Gasol every minute he's on the floor. He'll get, you know, he'll be alongside those initiators, as you said, that he needs. The question is whether he gets many minutes because it seems to me like when Patrick McCaw is healthy, mm-hmm. Nick Nurse will give McCaw the minutes. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know, uh, but do you think Davis has been more impressive than McCaw thus far? And I realize we know more about McCaw. McCaw has been in bigger moments and all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, I wasn't super impressed by McCaw's camp. Yeah, I think to me McCaw has um, a higher floor on the defensive end especially. He, mm-hmm. he does fit in fairly well there, and especially when you want a fluid guy who's long and can get around screens. Mm-hmm. Norman Powell is, is good, not great. He can still get caught up sometimes, but McCaw is excellent. He's very fluid, um, and he doesn't turn it over on offense, and that's hmm. really what Nick Nurse cares about at that position. So I can see why what the argument is for McCaw, mm-hmm. but some of, the, some of the downsides, I mean, he's just – he's – such a poor scorer at the NBA level. Yeah. That should matter. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I think it was oh, which game was? It? I think it was the game against Chicago. He had like a wide open layup in transition and he blew it. And I was just it was like I couldn't believe it. I mean, I could kind of believe it cuz I've seen this sort of thing from a call before, but I mean, like that's you got to finish that. <laughs> I don't really know what other way to put it. I mean, that's that's the, the and that's obviously not the strongest part of his game, the scoring. He's such a passive guy, but you know you can't continue to continue to do that if you want to hope that you're actually going to take your game to to the next level. And I know that he wants to kind of fit in, and he kind of has that personality type, which is great. But um, the Raptors, especially this team, like they need all the creation they can get. Yeah, yeah, and, and even aside from the one you know single moment. You know, not shooting in the first game against Houston, mm-hmm. and he clearly got the memo to you know try to look to score a little bit in the second game. Yeah, and I think he shot like one for seven or something, and his shots just weren't weren't fluid, weren't in the swing. Like ideally, he would be taking four shots, maybe one in transition, three threes from the corner. You know, not a ton, but he was taking. I think he had like one step back, 
he had, you know, a tough layup attempt. It wasn't like he was taking the ideal shot spectrum even when they asked him to look for his offense. And so I think offensively, McCaw uh, does offer a lot less than Terrence Davis. And, you know, Davis could well just the first month he could get minutes um, in the G League. If he does play lots for the 905, they're, I think, championship favorites. Mm. But by the end of the season, it wouldn't surprise me if he, you know, were really seizing those minutes and taking over. Yeah, like MVP. Looks- so, yeah, the answer is won't make a all-rookie <laughs> team because the minutes, but will win MVP. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Terrence Davis for MVP, we've already started it. Um, he might have to share co-MVP honors with Matt Thomas. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, but also, I was going to – I need to mention this. Like, is there any rule against winning – or not winning, but being on the all-rookie teams and the all-NBA teams? It's never happened, I don't think. But there's no rule against it, right? No, of course not. No. So, I mean – the answer, Matt, is both. He's he could be an all rookie player and an all NBA player. So you know, yeah, um, these things aren't binary. Yeah, the optimism is high here. Okay, so next question, kind of building off of the Terrence Davis and Pat McCaw talk, at Sir Remington on Twitter asks, aside from Terrence Davis and Patrick McCaw, which, if any, of the other guys who aren't in the top seven in the rotation are most likely to become a reliable bench piece, and why? I think Malcolm Miller's got to be yeah. the answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's my answer, too. Uh, so he actually had a great moment today. Someone, Blake, obviously, asked <laughs> uh, asked Nick Nurse about Malcolm Miller in the rotation. And Nick Nurse has been really open. He's been fantastic with the media this preseason. And he said straight up, I mean, this guy's close. He does everything we want. He'll be fighting for a rotation spot. His defense has been on point. Um, his offense has been great. His his shot release has sped up over the summer, which is impressive because it was already good and quick. I mean, he's there. He he is an NBA caliber wing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Malcolm Miller's the guy I've been caping for to make the roster um, pretty much the whole preseason. I really like Malcolm Miller. I've liked him since two seasons ago when I really got to see him up close for the first time. Uh, one of my favorite moments was during the 2017-18 season when he came in, I believe, for... Oh, I always forget. Now was it OG or or Norm? Um, one of those two. He, he was slotted in for the big Houston game in March, and uh, he came in and had some really nice defensive possessions on James Harden. Hit a couple threes. Had a tough layup in the half court in like a big regular season game, and it was cool to see him go in under pressure and and have this moment, um, especially as a guy who was a call up on a two way. So uh, I really liked what he brings. He's a classic three and D guy. He's got a good shot. Um, he's a great defensive player. You can pretty much slot him into any lineup and he, you know exactly what you're going to get. I think he was the safe, safest choice and, uh, he's worked really hard to get to where he is. He's had some injuries and stuff like that. So I'm glad to see him, uh, going to be on the roster. Yeah. Nurse mentioned that, you know, that, that he's had moments of success when he's been called upon, which matters. Uh, also one thing I love about Malcolm Miller is his sort of coming up has coincided with mine. In that <laughs> two years ago, he was just with the 905, as I was for Raptors Republic. Mm-hmm. Last year on a two-way, so got some time with the Raptors, mostly with the 905, which I also was doing mostly just at 905 games, went to some Raptors games. And this year, he'll be fully on the roster. And he, I mean, as of today, he made it. And uh, yeah, I will be at all the Raptors games as well. So it's kind of fun watching watching us do that together. Wow. Can I can I get dibs on writing the Malcolm Miller Lewis Zatzman comparison piece? 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> Amazing. Definitely going to write that. Um, yeah, so I think that's, I mean, that's pretty much the answer. I don't know, like, does anybody else really stick out to you? Malcolm Miller's been the guy for me pretty much the whole preseason that I'd be keeping an eye on. I mean, Boucher, I think Boucher, if he puts the defense together, just the, you know, the solidity, the small stuff, mm-hmm. then he'll be there for sure. Um, he could seize the backup power forward spot from Rondé, and Rondé will also get time. I mean, all of these guys will have minutes, um, but Malcolm Miller, I think, is is my favorite so far. Yeah, I, the thing with Boucher I'm just waiting for is when Nurse goes with one of those super huge lineups and we get like two minutes of Chris Boucher at like small forward or something and it's just going to be super weird and super lanky and just like, you know, guys, all these bigs launching threes as trailing from one guard who's booking it down the floor. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, the ability to block three-point shooters around the perimeter between Boucher, Siakam, and Anobi, I mean, that's real. Yeah. Yeah, they're all really good at that. So that's that's exciting. Um, okay, so we're going to go to another Matt question here. What a shocker. Um, <laughs> let's do this one. What Raptor would you most want to hug? And he thinks it's, it's Marc Gasol. Interesting. I'll, ooh, let me think. You go first. Let me think about this one. Okay, um, so first off, I'll say, I mean, I probably agree with him. I feel like Marc Gasol is a great hugger. Next up, I would say... I feel like Norm and Siakam probably give really good hugs. Uh, I feel like if I wore a shirt around Norm that said respect the hug on it, that he would give me a hug. Um, <laughs> he seems also like Norm seems like one of the guys who likes to mess around a little bit more than some of the other guys. He's a little more open about it. Like you can see, you get moments of him on camera messing around and um, just kind of being playful. So uh, I like that. So I feel like I would be comfortable hugging Norm and I feel like he would give a good hug. Siakam's super lanky, but, like, at the same time, so am I. I'm just, like, a way shorter, lanky version. So, like, we could just, like, wrap each other in these super long arms, and I feel like that would be actually nicer than it sounds. Um, <laughs> and then and then kind of on the fringes, like, Malcolm Miller and Matt Thomas. I feel like both of those guys would give solid hugs. So, I, I mean, this is just a personality-based response, but Kyle Lowry puts up a you know a prickly front mm-hmm. he pretends to be kind of um a, you know a, a harsh guy mm-hmm. but in reality i i think he's actually a really nice guy he's, he's a fantastic teammate really supportive i mean he he buys his teammate stuff every year it seems like um and everybody speaks speaks loads about his you know willingness to discuss stuff with younger teammates his his openness um, I think he's actually a much softer, gentler person than what he presents to the media. For whatever reason, he just chooses to sort of keep that stuff on the down low. Mm-hmm. And just because of his, uh, you know, soft, cuddly inside, maybe that could be an answer. Yeah, I respect that. I mean, I've seen him give his kids some really nice looking hugs. Yeah, as a media member, I wouldn't be hugging any of these guys. But, you know. <laughs> no, no, we are... Uh... Uh, as media, we are not allowed to hug and or touch and or wear, respect the hug shirts, any of that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, we had to answer it because Matt sent us the question. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, so we'll do one more Matt question here for NBA, and then uh, we'll move to a question that wasn't about basketball. So the last question Matt said was about Serge Ibaka. And he asked, "Who? What power forward is Serge going to miss with a punch this season? And why is it Marcus Morris?" 
Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. A Morris right. is always a good option. Any Morris, really. Yeah, either Morris. It's got to be from the East because there's so many more games. No. Okay, my answer is not a power forward. Mm. But I think it would be a clipper because the emotions in that game will be high. Okay. Maybe Montrezl Harrell. Montrez Harrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you don't pronounce the L. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think maybe him. He and Serge could be physical. You never know what will happen. They could get tied up. I don't think he's the type of guy that Serge uh, would really you know, talk a lot to, would, would get physical with. But I could see there being a moment in that game where where tempers flare, particularly if Kawhi doesn't play actually in one of the games. Yeah, that's a good one. I hadn't really thought about the high uh, emotions that are going to be taking place in in those games. So yeah, that could definitely happen. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I, I thought about the playing way more games in the East too. So I was looking at East teams. I mean, the the Knicks in general are a pretty good bet because they house like thirty percent of the league's power forwards. That's a good point. Uh, but the couple that I came up with are like, this is weird, but like maybe Jabari Parker, who's on mm. Atlanta now. Because he has a bit of an attitude. I can see them maybe getting mixed up if he's, like, at the wrong spot at the wrong time. Um, Kelly Olynyk's always a good bet to see him kind of messing around with somebody. And then I think the one that I'm really going with is Zaza Pachulia because he's on the Pistons. And the Raptors got swept by the Pistons last year. And seeing Dwayne Casey's always a thing. And um, those games are always kind of weird. Would Zaza be on the court, though? That's a, Yeah, it's a great question. It would have to be like during like garbage time or something, probably. All right, here's one for you. What about Jonathan Isaac? I mean, he was, mm. I think, maybe Orlando's best defensive player in that playoff series last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is, you know, a lot of guys' candidates for most improved this year. Yeah. He'll, be, he'll have a lot, of, uh, a lot more touches this year than he had last year. Maybe a Siakam-like leap, a lot of people <laughs> have said, which is crazy because yeah, only Siakam can do that. Mm. But it's possible he's feeling himself a lot when they play Toronto. He's talking, and Ibaka doesn't like that. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I like Jonathan Isaac a lot as a, as a player. I think uh, I think he is the team's best defender already, and I think he's only going to get better. I've read some really cool stuff on him, and, and people are really excited, and I wouldn't blame anybody for picking him for most improved. So, yeah, I could definitely see that, especially because, I mean, Ibaka was really good last year. But the thing about Ibaka is, like, I feel like over this past year, even he's, like, toned himself down a little bit. Like, he was really good during the, the postseason last year. And when everybody thought that, oh, at some point he's going to get into a scuffle and, and something bad's going to happen, and he never really did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's he looks so good, man. He's going he could be Toronto's second best scorer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he he looks in the preseason. He looks like he hasn't missed a beat. He's still hitting the turnaround mid range jumpers. He doesn't always even need guys to set him up for things, and he's hitting those hooks down on the block. I mean, he looks awesome. So hitting threes again too. Yeah. I was watching him at practice today, and he had, um, I think, Goodwillie contesting threes mm-hmm. and, like, actually contested threes because the guy's, like, 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, he's, he's big enough to contest Serge's shot. And it, he hit, like, 80% of maybe 50 threes when I was watching. Wow. He just could not miss. And they were, they were like, game threes, you know, pop out of the pick and roll. They were um, get it on the wing. Wait one beat hesitation for the guy to go to the corner. 
It was uh, up and under. Three. He was hitting like tough shots and just draining everything. I mean, he, Serge looks good. That's awesome. I'm never going to forget that shot he hit against the Sixers where he had the ball down low, rose up, hit it, and just like – that was game seven, I believe, right? Everything's kind of a blur still from the playoffs, but I'm pretty sure that was game seven. Yeah, that was one of the biggest non-Kawhi Raptor shots in history. Yeah, it's it's just nuts. That was one of those oh no oh no oh yeah shots. Yeah, um, incredible. Yeah. Okay, so moving here to one of the non-basketball questions. I think the only non-basketball question we have. I don't know how you're going to feel about this because I have no idea what your sense is on these things. But I was asked to hit the people listening to this with my top five to ten favorite poems of all time, or just. In gen- not necessarily my favorite, but just five, five to ten poems all time. I went favorite because art is, um, is taste largely subjective. So uh, these are my favorite. Um, I won't list them in particular order. That was from 33 Trigger on Twitter. But before I just list mine out, is, do you have any – like do you read poetry? I do. Oh. Um, but I read poetry like I listen to music mm-hmm. where I do full albums, you know, full collections. And so I know poets, but I don't really know the the songs, you know, from the albums or the poems from the collections by individual. Like I, I don't separate them, so I don't really know poems by the individual ones. I take them as a collection. Really, I know that's just because I I just keep reading, so I don't remember what was in what. Yeah, that makes sense. Part of the reason I was asked this question, I'm pretty sure, is because uh, my background is an English major, so. Mm. Even the stuff that like I didn't necessarily liked, I've read a lot of things that I haven't necessarily liked, and I just I remember these things because four years of my life was dedicated to uh, remembering them and writing about them and all this stuff. So, but I do genuinely love poetry. I still write it myself and I read it all the time. So I'll list. I I do have ten here. I'll go through them quick. I'm not going to go through each one like individually. I'll just kind of list them um, and give like a quick sentence why, and then. See if there's any that you've heard of or haven't heard of that you're interested in, and then tell me a couple that you, you've read, if you can remember, that you really enjoyed. So, okay, so here, so this is my number one. I didn't put these in order, but my number one poem for myself that I've read ever is The Wind Hover by Gerard Manley Hopkins. And the reason that I love this poem so much is because it's the most beautiful poem that I've ever heard. It is written in sprung rhythm, which is a type of free verse that Hopkins came up with himself. I won't get into how all the you know syllables work and and all the iams and feet and stuff like that, but it is an extremely gorgeous poem. You can go online and you can just um, there's a version you can just listen to. You can just click it and someone will read the poem to you, and it sounds uh, extremely extremely melodious. Um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's amazing. Uh, then I've got the Listeners by Walter de la Mer, also one of my favorite poets. He's uh, very good at writing stuff for kids, and this is. Not necessarily for kids, it's for adults, for anybody, but it's very haunting, kind of creepy, not super long, and very open-ended. Uh, it's really good. Then I've got Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Um, has a couple of my favorite lines in poetry near the end. You can go and read it and find out. It's amazing. I've got The Hollow Men by T.S. Eliot. Not a huge fan of all T.S. Eliot stuff, but I love The Hollow Men. Uh, the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, which is a classic. Hope is a Thing with Feathers from Emily Dickinson. Um, Almost everything she writes I love. Uh, She's uh, one of the best uh, female poets I've ever read, one of the best poets I've ever read in general. She is fantastic. Um, Got Oh Me, Oh Life by Walt Whitman. Uh, If you've seen Dead Poets Society, the movie, that movie or that poem is heavily featured in there as well. So you can, um, you might have heard it from there and go and read it. It's awesome. Uh, I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud by William Wordsworth. 
Um, one of the best sort of rural poets that there was. Love Nature, fantastic, great rhyme scheme. Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti. If you are in the mood for Halloween, this is a great pick. And then my last one is Beowulf. And uh, the poet for Beowulf is just called the Beowulf Poet. He's anonymous. We don't know actually who wrote down uh, the version of Beowulf uh, that we have. But that's a long epic poem. I'm sure you've heard of Beowulf before. There's a movie about Beowulf. And it's the premise for a lot of fantasy literature uh, that exists today, which is one of my favorites, including Lord of the Rings, which is my favorite fantasy series of all time. The reason Smaug the Dragon exists is because there's a dragon in Beowulf and uh, Tolkien wished the dragon would talk, and he didn't, so he wrote his own version for The Hobbit. So, uh, yeah, those are my uh, ten, in no particular order, except for the Windhofer, I guess. Um, so, Lewis, I'll toss it to you now. Uh, what, what do you think, uh, poetry-wise? That's a good list. I know about half of those. I did not know that info about uh, Beowulf and Lord of the Rings. That's cool to know. Um, Stopping by Woods on a Snow Evening is also one of my favorites. Um what I've been reading a lot these days, I actually have been going back and reading through Leonard Cohen's collection. Mm-hmm. Um, Let Us Compare Mythologies, his first book, is my favorite. I usually like people's first anything, you know, uh, producers' first movies, musicians' first albums, uh, authors' first books. I find it's just you have a lifetime to write to create that first one, and then you have a contract, and you have a, a year or two to create the second and oftentimes a lot of your best, most original ideas uh, go into the first. And even if you're technically better uh, with what you create after that, oftentimes I think idea-wise uh, you're, you're less original, you're less creative. And so to me, Leonard Cohen, he's definitely at his most raw in Let Us Compare Mythologies. Mm-hmm. And technically he's not as talented as he is later. But that that raw ability combined with his, you know, his love of the sacred and his discussion of the human experience um, really has a powerful effect. I love Let Us Compare Mythologies. Um, I've also been reading a lot of Ben Lerner. Mm-hmm. He's, have you ever heard of Ben Lerner? I've heard the name, but I have not read much of it. So I've, I, only, I came to him as an author, actually. Uh, his first book, uh, Leaving the Atoka Station, his mm-hmm. second, 1004. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were the only... To, uh, those are the only two I've read, um, but he talks about being a poet, and so I've read a tiny bit. Um, and I actually, as an author, I love him. He's about you know the the difference between the real and the virtual. Talks a lot about uh, interaction and what you are versus how people perceive you. And I find his poetry a little less accessible. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been enjoying it, but it's one of those things like when you first get into whiskey, mm-hmm. the first few times you taste it, you kind of have to make yourself keep tasting it. <laughs> um, and it's it's more difficult to sort of appreciate than a lot of other poetry, but I, I do find myself enjoying it even if I don't quite know why. Yeah, it, I, I find um, that stuff interesting. Like I find myself drawn to a poets who tend to be really um, – really accessible, openly accessible, but still convey complicated ideas because I find that to be actually extremely difficult. It looks easy, but it's not. Um, and I, I've always really respected that. Uh, I do I do enjoy some of the heavier poets. I mean, I mentioned T.S. Eliot in here. He's definitely one of the most difficult poets to read if you go through his entire sort of canon, his oeuvre. Um, the Wasteland is one of the most dense poems of the 20th century. So you can go check that out. But uh, yeah, I mean... I also think the 
original ideas thing is is true too. You see that all over the place. Like I immediately thought of uh, of Christopher Nolan and his film uh, film oeuvre where he has. Uh, he's visited the same ideas over and over. I mean, a lot of artists kind of have a particular theme that they like to go back to and explore again and again until they've exhausted it. And sometimes they never feel like they've exhausted it. But I mean, just using him as an example, I mean, his first film following is a lot. You can see the the roots of it in something like Memento, which came later. And then Inception, which a lot of people think is maybe his best movie. Those three things are like intrinsically tied together, and then a lot of his other movies have the same sort of themes either in the background or portrayed differently. But those movies are all pretty similar and kind of leading up one building off of the other. And I find that's pretty typical in, in art for, uh, for most writers and filmmakers and really any kind of artist. So that's a, that's a really cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, and there are, there's always people who you know don't fall under that rule, people who are just absolute masters of their craft. Yeah. You know, someone like Margaret Atwood, who just is phenomenal no matter when. People hmm. who have more ideas than, you know, the rest of humanity combined. And just they can never do something that's not brilliant. You know, there's people like that. But in general, I find the first is my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, those people are uh, few and far between, I find. But hey, when we find them, I mean, geniuses really and what they do, uh, those are always great and worth celebrating. So uh, yeah. I would agree with you there. So I guess we should get back to basketball now. Uh, <laughs> so I got some questions here that are kind of like more some of the basic, um, some more basic questions about the upcoming season. So I just want to start with preseason. So in terms of uh, lessons, so what's the biggest lesson you learned from preseason um, that was something that you didn't necessarily know before? I think I expected the Raptors to let Pascal eat to you know to have him be the big dog and fill Kawhi's shoes. Mm. But what I learned. Um, was they're actually, I think, going to go back to the 2017-18 style of play. Yeah. Um, you know, really eschew shots from the mid-range, have even their best scorers like Pascal try to only score, you know, in the flow of the offense, run at all possible points, shoot a ton of threes, and just ping the ball around as much as possible. Um, so I think that's what Nick Nurse wants. That's what the players seem to have bought into. And if that Brooklyn game where they ran a pretty tight, you know, uh, rotation over the first three quarters, if that game was any indication, the offense will be very egalitarian. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some questions about this, too, on Twitter about um, what the offense is going to look like. And, and I had, you know, Blake's written about this, and I had kind of talked with him a little bit about it on our, the last podcast I had. But, uh, you know, Kawhi being gone doesn't just mean that Siakam just slides into that spot necessarily and like soaks up all the usage because even though he may be the guy on the team now, which I think he is and most people would agree and the Raptors seem to think so with the extension they just gave him, he's still like there was so much usage there. Like even when Kawhi and Siakam were together in the starting lineup, like they both used a huge percentage of the team's offensive possessions and like Siakam just can't soak all that up by himself. There's going to have to be other guys uh, creating and taking up some of that usage. So it, it makes sense anyway to kind of go to more of a more uh, egalitarian sort of offense. And I think it's also like what Nurse wants. I mean, like Siakam's a, a different kind of a different kind of uh, situation than some other players. Like Kawhi came in, he's a superstar player. He basically gets to control what he can control, and he could go to Nick Nurse and say pretty much anything and say, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to do it. Now, obviously, Kawhi was very, like, 
you know, he bought in and he wanted to do what the team wanted to do. But at the same time, he's a superstar and there were possessions that he was like, okay, I'm the best player on the floor. I'm going to do this now. And Siakam is, is a little different. I mean, he's come up through Toronto. He was never expected to be a superstar. We don't even necessarily know if he's ever going to get to that level, but he has hit some level of stardom. And he's never had the opportunity to really take those sorts of possessions. And I'm sure he will at some point more this year. But everything has always been kind of in the flow of the offense. So I think he's going to be more open to having that style of offense. And, and because of that, I think Nurse can more create sort of, again, more like in 2017-18, what he, what he visions for the offense. And uh, he doesn't necessarily have to deal with, you know, being diplomatic with a superstar player who at times is just going just gonna to take over the offense and do what he wants, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the Raptors end up, you know, they won a title. So you know, it's fine, and he's even bigger in the playoffs. Obviously, it's a bigger idea, but in the regular season, yeah, I mean, I think we're just going to see a lot more of a pure nurse-style system this year, so I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the other thing I noticed was Van Vliet looks amazing. There's, I've been watching him really closely because, obviously, everybody's, like, interested and concerned uh, with what he's going to do. I mean, he's not extension eligible. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. This is a big year for him, and everybody's you know, trying to figure out what his role is going to be, how often is he going to start, when is he coming off the bench, if he starts, how much does he really get to show what he is capable of going forward, uh, can he keep up what he was doing from the playoffs in a very small sample size. But he's looked really good. Like, he's looked better running the pick and roll. He's looked better shooting off the dribble. So everything there is really encouraging. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for that, I mean, skill development is real from the point guard spot, but the biggest thing is just health. He was injured almost all last year. People don't realize that, but he had, you know, hip pointer and stuff. He had back stuff. He had stuff going on with every part of his body. And if he's healthy now, that that's where the biggest jump will come from. Yeah, that's that's something that's it's hard to, unless you're around the team a lot, and even then it's sometimes hard, you can't always tell what guys are going through. But yeah, like even, I remember Blake recently uh, talked about how Van Vliet kind of said that he finessed his way into like starting second halves in the, in the playoffs and the finals because he had a hit pointer, so he wanted to stay warm, which yeah. nobody knew about. So yeah, he's, he's been going through a lot, and obviously smaller guards tend to get beat up more easily and, and Van Vliet's never been a guy shy driving into the paint and stuff he falls all the time so yeah by the way you've seen Van Vliet more recently than I have how badass does that scar look in person the eye scar yeah yeah that's real so I, I had a uh one-on-one with him the other day humble brick mm-hmm. uh <laughs> and I was I got caught for a moment I was asking him about um Terrence Davis stuff about the undrafted story and I really wanted to distract and or to to you know go off topic and be like dude that scar's not going away huh that's forever <laughs> yeah I didn't because I was you know on topic mm-hmm. but uh yeah his eye scar is real I think that's permanent yeah I mean it's kind of a good thing they won the title because of that because I feel like if they hadn't Oh, he kind of he kind of got that scar, and it might be associated with negative memories. But they won the title, so at least it's associated with winning a chip. Yeah, exactly. That's a championship scar forever. Yeah, <laughs> that it is. Okay, so moving on here, how did you feel about Nick Nurse going in on guys at practice? I, I were you at the one where the the kind of infamous one about him saying nope, 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 and talking about the about the new guys defensively? I was. Um, I think it was a Josh Lewenberg line of questioning, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I was shocked. I mean, 
Nick Nurse cut him off um, and and was like, look, I, I hear what you're asking, but their performance, their effort is not being there. Um, and I think on one hand it shows that Nick Nurse is more comfortable in his role than he was all last year. But I think the more important takeaway is just um, he knows what it takes now and he's not going to accept anything less, even in preseason. Yeah. I think I think it's a good thing. Like I think the fact that they won a title now, he's a championship coach and the only one in franchise history. Like I feel like he has a longer leash than maybe some other coaches in some other situations, so he can say like things any like this. other coach and any. He's got a leash forever at this point. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean, he can kind of say what he wants, obviously, as long as it's not like super crazy, but. I mean, I think it's a good thing. Like, I always like when coaches are candid, at least to some degree, like, depending on what a topic is, but around stuff like this, I think it's good for a coach to be candid. And I mean, he didn't say anything egregious. He just said the truth. I mean, I, and I hope that you would hope that that kind of thing lights a fire under some of those guys. I mean, um, a lot of players say they like when coaches are critical of them and will give them positive, you know, um, things to work, like things to work towards and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think it was a good thing. I mean, it's, 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 what Toronto's culture, uh, it's what they've built and what they want it to be, what they want it to sustained, what they want to be as sustained as. So I don't know. I thought it was a good thing. I didn't mind it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, whatever he's doing to get players to play well, it's worked so far. So. Yep. Sure has. Um, what's Toronto's biggest strength this season going to be? Biggest strength, I think, is the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I it's it's like the playoffs last year. Every guy who will be in the rotation is a defensive positive, and that is just such a high floor for performance. It means no matter what happens with your shot, with you know, with hangovers, with anything, guys <laughs> are gonna you know be in the right places, and they're gonna win a lot of games based on that alone. Yeah, I agree. I have their defense written down here in big letters. I think that's the obvious biggest strength that they've got. I mean, just like you're saying, uh, they've got plus defenders across the board. And obviously some of the bench guys, maybe you'd like to see more from there, but they're the kind of guys that are known for that. And it's a really solid defensive group pretty much all around. All the returning rotation guys know what it's like to dig in, to be into tough situations, to have to fight on defense. And obviously, you know, extending off of their defense uh, they're going to have to use that to create offense as well so um, its importance goes beyond just getting stops so I think they'll be good there and and they've obviously still got a lot of high IQ players on the roster Mark Gasol, Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet guys like this they know what they're doing and they and they have chemistry built in so yeah I think defense is going to be their their calling card for sure this season yeah so on the opposite end of that weakness what's the biggest weakness the biggest weakness will, I think, probably be self-creation. Um, yeah. You know, Pascal Siakam is elite, um, but in the playoffs, it was pretty clear if you put a center on him who's fairly mobile, you know, even Brooke Lopez did a pretty good job, and he's not known as the most mobile center, just someone who can contest at the rim, stay on his feet, um, that Siakam will struggle at least a little more against guys like that, even though he still had breakout games. And so um, I, I just wonder if teams do put centers on him and if they force the guards to create from the perimeter step-back threes, they're just, there could be games where guys are cold and the Raptors don't score more than 83 or four points. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, transition is always an option. Uh, there's ways to jimmy it, you know, mm-hmm. but they're not always going to sh- going to hit 24 threes like they did against Brooklyn. And, and there will be games where the offense look quite poor. Yeah, I agree. I, I have pretty much the same thing here. I've written down just their lack of creators. Um, things are going to get tight for them. I agree, especially in the half court situations, depending on the units that Nick Nurse puts out there. Uh, there are things like from Siakam's game that we haven't really still seen yet, even in the preseason, mostly because I feel like when Siakam was on the floor in the preseason, he was still kind of able to do whatever he wanted and get to where he wanted and, uh, do what he needed to do. So he didn't really need to try some of the things we've been waiting to see him try. I mean, yeah, he did shoot a few more threes, kind of looked pretty similar there. He's going to have to continue to do that. Um, I've been waiting to see him pull out some of the mid range stuff, some of the working in the pick and roll as the ball handler stuff. Uh, he hasn't done a lot of that yet, but he's going to have to, depending on some uh, situations, some games coming up um, where opponents will throw things at them that if he wants to be able to score, he kind of has to pull some of that stuff out. I mean, some of that, some of those things are obvious antidotes for what you're talking about, like in the playoffs, where he, because of his the skill set at the time, he was limited to what he could do against a Joel Embiid, a Giannis Attentacumpo, guys like that. Um, and I mean, you're always going to be limited to some degree against those guys. Those guys are fantastic defenders, all world defenders. So, you know, it's going to be difficult no matter what, but if he wants to remedy that, he had to add some things to his game. And I think we're still kind of waiting on seeing how consistent he can actually be in real game scenarios as the go-to guy with all the pressure on him. And, uh, obviously we've seen all the workout videos where he's doing stuff like that, but I'm looking forward to actually seeing him do it on the floor. And one other thing, you know, to his positive or to the team's positive that they'll do with Siakam that Nick Nurse mentioned today as well is uh, they're going to use him as the point guard, you know, for some real minutes, like not just one possession, like actual minutes where he's the point guard on the floor and uh, like a Ben Simmons type situation. And in a playoff series against Philadelphia, Toronto did pretty well neutralizing Ben Simmons in the half court, even if he was still a terror in transition. But, you know, in in the regular season, when Pascal Siakam is the only guy, or is the point guard, and Toronto has nobody below six foot seven, I mean, there could be two to three minute stretches where your offense is just put it in the post and get an easy bucket or get fouled. And so Siakam is going to have tons of different ways to score this year. It won't just be, you know, what can you create against a set defense? And so it's it's not like uh, everything will come from the mid-range. There's ways to to make it a little more creative, and I'm yeah, really yeah. excited. Just like you said, I'm excited to see how they do it. Yeah, there's definitely some different things to try out. It'll be really cool to see what, they, what Nurse ends up pulling out. Um, yeah. So bouncing off of that, what, Toronto as a team – their record what's it going to be and what seed will it get them are you did you take the over or the under for this season i believe it's 46.5 uh i i honestly i think the 46 47 range is fair i i would take the over on 46.5 that's insanely low Mm -hmm. but i don't think they'll hit 50 okay yeah um i think they'll probably slot in as the fourth probably the fifth actually seed Mm-hmm. Um, just because a lot of load management, load management games will sap them of that offensive punch. You know, when Kyle Lowry is off the floor, they could have a bottom 10 offense offense. Yeah. Um, and when he doesn't play in games, when he's resting, I mean, they'll, they'll really struggle to create good looks on every possession. Um, so I have the, 
the over, I guess, but I'm I'm not super rosy on their regular season outlook. I'm really positive in the playoffs where I think they'll be fantastic. And uh, I think the second round, if they do face one of Philadelphia or Milwaukee, six-game, seven-game, really hard-fought series, um, but a real chance to beat them in, in a way that I don't think any other team in the East has. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't um, didn't expect that quite so much. I mean, I, I have them probably going as far as the conference semifinals, um, but I really do like this team. Maybe not not quite as high as you on them in the playoffs, but I I sure hope so. I mean, I mean, there's things they can work on and figure out throughout the season to maybe kind of get them there. I would also take the over on the wins. Probably not a lot. Probably I had them like around like 48 wins. I mean, historically too, if you want to count that in, they've hit the over the last eight years. So if that means anything, then they're on the trend to continue to continue to do that. Uh, I would say that if everything worked out well, works out well as it possibly can, then. They could hit the third seed. I think that's kind of their ceiling is third seed if, if Norm has a really good season and OG does what he needs to do. And uh, some of the some of the bench guys, depending, uh, you know, after sort of the eight rotation guys, seven, eight rotation guys, somebody kind of steps up. I think they could, could land there depending on how much of the load management thing actually happens and, and how often Gasol is used and, and Lowry and if not too much weight is put on those two guys to, to carry things as two older players and, and all that. And if Siakam really is what everybody thinks he's going to be. So, yeah, I think that best-case scenario, they end in third seed, and that's kind of where I had them. So, I mean, and overall, I think this year is kind of just going to be more of a fun year because, I mean, everybody's kind of looking forward to the summer of 2021 anyway. That's sort of the long game here. So I think this season's just kind of going to be fun that way. Interesting. We have, um, you know, not two different, but, you know, the kind of opposite takes in about where the Raptors will thrive via the regular season of the playoffs. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think they're going to be better regular season team than playoff team. But I mean, I obviously love them to be a better playoff team, but I just, I feel like they're, I mean, obviously with a Kawhi there, but I feel like they're easier to scheme for this year in a way that, I mean, the best teams in in the East, the top two teams really are just going to be able to to handle pretty well i do really want to see though speaking of that i do really want to see the raptors big lineup go against philly because that that could tell us a lot of stuff yeah philly i i think is gonna roll to a lot of wins in the east but jimmy butler is such a he's so much better than people realize Mm -hmm. i mean without him last year they would have maybe been swept by toronto like he was that important to that series and and yeah i get josh richardson you know al horford huge additions but without Jimmy Butler, I really have to see it before I believe that they're that much better than Toronto in a playoff series. They're another team that's going to struggle offensively, um, I think, for sure. And they've got some figuring out to do and how they want to work things. And obviously they want to have Embiid be their go-to guy all the time, which wasn't the case last year with Butler on the roster. So that is going to be interesting. I just, I just feel like that team is going to be so monstrous defensively. I mean, at every position they've got guys that are either just huge yeah. Or, you know, our actual lockdown defenders or or whatever. So, you know, and, and I feel like the offense, it'll be easier to come by for them. I think that's something they can figure out. And, and they can, if they have a good defense to start with, then stuff on that other end will kind of come in time. So they really scare me But uh, uh, if I'm a Raptors fan. But, yeah, the, uh, the Raptors big lineup could be pretty fun too. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. Um, I don't. Did we really miss anything? That's kind of uh, that's kind of the outlook on the season, I think, right? 
I think we covered most of it. So yeah, uh, I'll wrap it up here then. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on to the podcast again, Lewis. It's been a while since I've had you on, so it was good to have you on. I'm sure we'll have you on again more in the future as the Raptors season rolls on, the NBA season rolls on. Is there anything you want to plug before you go? I know that uh, you're writing about more than just the Raptors this year. Yeah, that's okay. I have a piece coming up tomorrow morning with CBC about uh, Fred and Terrence. Should be exciting. You can follow me at Twitter, just my name. Uh, you can find that tomorrow. Nice. That's awesome. That's going to be really exciting. I will make sure to uh, retweet that. I hope everybody goes and reads it. If you're listening to this podcast, sounds awesome. If you're looking for this podcast, uh, you can find it on anchor.fm or the Anchor app. It is called The Writer's Write Podcast. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify. You can find it there too. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Writer's Write Pod where I post links to the episodes and uh, usually to the work that my guest has written if if we're talking about that. And until then, you can follow me at Havolution on Twitter as always. And you can find my own online work at Raptors Republic and uh, I'll have some other things coming up this year. It's going to be a big year for me as well. Uh, I've got some stuff going on that I'm going to be working for with the Raptors organization, so you'll see some of that stuff that I'm going to post uh, at some point, and then um, I'll, I'll probably have some stuff coming from from Sportsnet as well down the line. So stay tuned on there and uh, continue to listen. And thank you so much. I hope you have a great day. Yeah.